Hey, before we uh, dive into this message, I just want to acknowledge um, just a reality, which is I've had just several hard conversations with lots of folks this week, just about heavy stuff going on in their own life or in the lives of those around them. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that every week we come in here, there's, there's a fair amount of that present because um, our world is just messed up and we're messed up and we're part of the problem a lot of times. Um, but I just want to encourage you guys. I'm just so encouraged by just how you guys are caring for and loving one another through those things. Um, I'm just grateful for the folks that are sharing me these things. I'm not their only lifeline uh, of support. They've got friends. They've got small group communities that are wrapping around them. I'm just really grateful for the way that you guys dive into that stuff with each other. So anyways, good job, church. <laughs> you guys are doing great. So... Um, I think we can all relate to a time in our life, or probably many times, where we thought we were going to have something to ourselves, but then we were forced to share it. Okay, now on a smaller scale, as a child, um, that happened to me a lot when I went to my dad's house on the weekends. Okay, at my house with my mom growing up, I was an only child, and so I didn't share anything. All right, I go to my dad's house, he gets remarried. She has two daughters, so I've got these two stepsisters. And so I'm thinking particularly about, you know, age seven or so, I've got a, a six-year-old sister and an eight-year-old sister kind of bookending me. And I remember just very um, vivid, strong, graphic images of going through the McDonald's drive-thru at my dad's <clears throat> and him making it known to me that I was going to have to share a drink with my sister and I need you guys to understand that back then in the 70s, mediums were like this big. I kid you not. Like you think kid size now. That's what, and I was told I was going to share my Coke with my sister. And to this day, the injustice of it <laughs> is still just a very tender, a very traumatic space for me. Every time I see a kid sized drink, I just, it triggers me. Um, the road rage. And those of you with siblings are like, come on, dude, get over it. But like, yes, I was spoiled, okay? As an only child, it was like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Now, on a larger scale, <clears throat> I want all of us to imagine in here that you are the child of a wealthy business owner. And even though you don't really talk about it with the family around the dinner table, you kind of know you're the only child. You kind of know in the back of your mind, when the old man goes, I stand to inherit millions of dollars, okay? And you're feeling pretty, um, you know, thinking through all this, you know, that and you got plans in your mind for how I'm going to spend this. And, um, and so you're feeling pretty excited about the future. Um, you know, your old man passes away one day, but you're thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to spend all this money. So you're on your way to the lawyer's office. They're going to read the will. You're thinking, all right. Here we go, right? All the dreams. But you're caught off guard when another person, be it man or woman, depending on your gender, shows up at the same time. And not just any person. This is the person from high school that, like, you hated the most. Like your nemesis, right? I mean, you could not stand this person back in the day. And now that person is barging into your meeting, claiming to also be an heir, to the fortune. 
and he's, he's barging in, and he says that his mom had a relationship with your dad, but that he'd never known who the father was until recently. And while you're reeling and trying to absorb all of this, they pull out the final damning piece of information, which is the DNA test results that proves that this person is your half-sibling. And now you're going to have to split that inheritance with this person that was once your nemesis. Imagine the confusion <laughs> and the hurt and the betrayal that you would feel in that moment, right? Now, I, I use these examples because it's hard for us to understand as we're reading this text today how much the Jews and the Gentiles despised one another for centuries, okay? We're going to try to get a little taste of that today as we look into the scripture because it's important for us to understand some context. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. It's page 1665 in your, your pew Bibles. Ashley uh, is going to stand up and read that passage for us. We're going to start in verse 11 today. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, thank you. Now, there's a lot of context here in this passage that could be pretty confusing if you don't kind of really understand how the Old Testament went down, okay? So first, we have to remember um, that when he's talking in Ephesians, he's, he's speaking to a combined audience of Jews and Gentiles, okay? And a Gentile is just anybody that's not a Jew. We saw in chapter 1 of Ephesians, and in verse 11 and 12, where it talked about, um, he's talking specifically to the Jews. He said, those who were the first to put their hope in Christ, okay? Those were the folks that were kind of following Jesus around, his entourage during his ministry that received him. And then those in Jerusalem, right after his death and resurrection, the, that first heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, that responded to him. So he's speaking to those folks in the crowd. And then in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 1, he talked to his Gentile brothers. You remember he said, he said, you also were included in Christ. And now that doesn't seem like such a big deal. We might look at that and say, yeah, so what? <laughs> but back then to the Jews, this was a huge deal. 
Okay, let me explain. So way back in the first book of the Bible, the very beginning, right, Genesis chapter 15, God kind of taps this guy named Abraham on the shoulder. And he says, Abraham, he says, listen, this is how it's going to go down. I'm going to be your God, and you and your descendants are going to be my people. Okay, and then he does this miraculous thing because him and his wife couldn't have kids, and so he, he gets his, makes sure his wife gets pregnant and they have a son, and then through your descendants, I'm going to bless the earth. And so that, that nation became the nation of Israel or the Jewish people, and God gave them a sign, okay, a covenant, which was the circumcision of all male children. And by that sign, they were set apart from everybody else in the world. Nobody else did that to their kids. So I want to take a look at a couple other verses that kind of spell out this special relationship in Genesis 17, 7. God says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then in Deuteronomy, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Okay? So very specific here. So I'm asking you guys a question here. If you're a Jew and you've been told your whole life that you are God's special treasured possession what would you think of yourself and then what would you think of all other peoples in the world yes Devin. yes i'm special and you're not right this is this is why this is why this is i'm hot right i, I ain't you ain't because you're not right so all right so, yeah, you've got this complex, right? I mean, you're, you're like, you're being told time and time again, you're special. Everybody else isn't special. Okay, so you can imagine what that would do to you and your perspective on yourself and others, right? Now, in addition to this, not only were you told you were special, but you also kind of had your part in this, right? The Jews had certain things they had to do because they were God's special people, right? They had to obey certain laws and rituals to uphold. They had to get... Their kids circumcised, they had to give certain offerings for their sin or, you know, for Thanksgiving for the you know, bounty of their harvest. And they had dietary restrictions of things they could eat and couldn't eat to remain clean in order to, so they could go to the temple. So there was some work on their part as well that set you apart and made you feel superior to others who, in your mind, didn't honor God the way you did. Okay? So this is their mindset. <laughs> There was a very real separateness and a very real hostility between the Jews and Gentiles, okay? Uh, just a, a physical example of this is in the, in the sacred temple in Jerusalem, okay, where the Jews would go and for pilgrimage every year for different festivals and feasts on their calendar. In the temple, there was a court for the Gentiles, and the Gentiles could go in there and they could roam around and do whatever they wanted, but then there was a wall, a dividing wall that only Jews could go on the other side of into kind of the sacred more holy places in the temple okay so hold those tense realities in your mind for a moment and now i want you to think about some of the things that jesus said when he came remember jesus being a jew right we just sang a whole song about it john three sixteen: for god so loved the world that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life Right? So if you're a Jew and you're hearing that, you're like, hold up, wait a minute. Right? 
check out these verses. These are other things that Jesus said. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so Jesus comes and he starts using this whoever language. <laughs> and this is really confusing because the Jews are thinking that Jesus' ministry was the fulfillment of a Jewish faith system, specifically for them. Okay? For centuries, Jews have been told and believed that they alone were special. And now Jesus and later Paul is saying, well, <laughs> actually, now I'm making a new covenant for all believers, whoever would come. And the people that you've pridefully looked down on all these years, now they're equal to you. And in fact, they're going to share your inheritance that you thought was just yours. Hmm. You see why Jesus was a threat? You see why the Jews conspired to get him killed? This is not a popular message to people who've been told all along, no, this is kind of your thing, right? You're my people. You're special. Now today's passage starts to make a little bit of sense. <laughs> Paul is speaking to a mixed Jew and Gentile crowd, and he starts in verse 11 and 12 in chapter 2 today by reminding the Gentiles that they once were excluded. You guys once were foreigners to the covenant, without hope and without God, and that was true. But then look down at verse 19. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the Jews. So what happens between verse 12 and verse 19? Well, Jesus happened. <laughs> Specifically his death. Because you see, the blood of Christ changes everything. So verse 13 tells them that those who were once far away, who were outside of the covenant, have been brought near. And how were they brought near? It says they were brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is a crucial teaching for all of us. The only way to be near to a holy and just God is by the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. Okay, Christ became sin. He who was sinless became sin so that we might be reconciled to God. So no person can claim nearness to God in their own effort. Okay, in their own goodness, their own um, charitable deeds, our supposed faith or belief in him, or by showing up at church or a Bible study every week. So when you hear people talk, and you hear this kind of talk all the time at funerals, <laughs> When you hear people talk about why they um, believe that they or someone that they know deserves to be in heaven, mentioning one of the human effort qualifications, like he was a good person or they went to church or whatever, could you please just be bold enough to just correct them? <laughs> Guys, we are only brought near to God when we acknowledge that we that our sin required the death of our Savior. That's the only way that we can come near to him. We are saved and have access to God by his grace alone. His grace. Let's also be clear that in verse 13 today, Paul is referring to Jews whose hearts were far from him as well. 
Because many times Jesus is like, don't think that just because you're Abraham's son that you're good, <laughs> that you're good to go, right? You have to turn your heart towards me as well because primarily Jesus was rejected by his own people. Most of the Jews didn't warm up to him. So we all need the blood of Christ to save us. Jew, Gentile, every person born, he is our only hope to be brought near to God. Now in verse 14 and 15, Paul, Paul goes on to explain that God's plan was to create this new humanity, okay? He called it the oneness of his church, one body. He says that Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And what he did was with the, when the Gentiles came into the picture, he, he put away the Old Testament requirements. He said those people don't have to do that. They don't have to have their kids circumcised. They don't have to eat certain, certain foods. I'm going to make this into one body. And Paul is very clear about this new humanity that is being created. In several examples in, in his other letters, he said things like this. In Colossians, he said, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In Ephesians 4, he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we can read this because we're the Gentiles. We're the ones being invited in, right? So when you're the one that's being made room for, you're always like, well, yeah, man, come on. I deserve to be here, right? But when you're the one that thought that you kind of were special and you're having to share, oh, man, this is a much more difficult message to swallow and to wrap your minds around. It's like everything that you thought about who you were and how God felt towards you, now all of a sudden that's all being blown up and you're having to consider a completely different way of, of looking at things. In verse 16, Paul says that God accomplished this by reconciling both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So I want, I want you to think about this question. How does the cross put to death our hostility? Or at least how should it? How does the cross put to death our hostility towards any other man or woman that you might come across in this world? What does the cross communicate? Yeah, Phil. Okay, because why? Not only because of his death, but because. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, he's saying that the cross is for all. So we don't have to fight each other for what seems like a limited amount of inheritance, right? There's more than enough to go around for everybody. More than enough love, more than enough grace, more than enough forgiveness. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. We don't have a claim to God's actions for us on the cross because we didn't do anything to deserve it, right? It was a gift to us, okay? Yeah. Why? Judgment and everything else has been taken away from us. Okay. Good. So the cross put to death his right to complain about anything, about this free gift we're given. Okay? Good. So the Jews were short-sighted in thinking that, that if they just followed the regulations, that that would be good enough. Right? They missed the understanding that the, the regulations, the Ten Commandments, and all the laws and rules and stuff were put there, not as a checklist for them to follow off and obey and say, yeah, I'm doing it 100%, but to show them that they couldn't do it, that they had to have a Savior. And that's why the, the prophets throughout the Old Testament are telling you there's going to be a Savior that's going to come because <laughs> you need him too, right? It reminds us that we were all enemies of God. And this might be the most pivotal point of this passage today. And I would dare say that this is an absolutely critical message for his church to hear in 2021. And that's this. Jesus' saving work on the cross didn't just reconcile each one of us to God. It also reconciled each one of us to each other. So don't be short-sighted in thinking that the cross is only about our personal salvation. There's much greater implications to the blood of Christ. He was making a way for us to be near to the Father, and he was making us a way to be near to one another, which means that we can't receive one without the other. I want you to listen to me now, okay? Listen. To receive the forgiveness of Christ for our sins on the cross, we must also be embracing our place in the new humanity, the one body of the church. You can't have one without the other. I can't claim to be a follower of Christ while also harboring hostility towards my fellow man. Those are incompatible claims. Are you hearing me? Okay? Because the implications of that is where it starts to get uncomfortable. All right? So stick with me. One of the most challenging passages in Scripture, for me at least, is Philippians chapter 2. And Paul talks about imitating Christ's humility. Okay? And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Better than. Not equal to. Better than. And herein lies the problem with this divisive and contentious world that we live in. And which is why, honestly, I try to avoid political conversations pretty much most of the time. <laughs> is I don't see a humbleness in our culture. And I don't see it in our church. Not this wellspring. I'm talking about the church in general. I see a lot of people digging their heels in on their rightness and then demonizing others with a posture that screams better than whatever side of the fence you're on. 
And so I often think to myself, can I enter into this polarizing conversation and do it without sinning? Without seeing myself as better than others, without allowing the seductive sin of pride to take root in my heart. And if I'm honest with myself, <clears throat> most of the time the answer to that question is no. I can't do it. I can't. Maybe you're better than me. I don't know. And so most of the time I just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I keep working on me. And this pride and hostility, which was so prevalent in Jesus' time between the Jews and the Gentile, is, is still alive in the Christian church in our country right now. And the threats to the reconciled oneness Jesus gave his life for are everywhere. Right? We live in this polarizing world. Liberals and conservatives, citizens and refugees, black, white, brown, white collar, blue collar. It's a culture of contempt. And we're all part of the problem. We are all hindrances to the oneness in the body of Christ. Every one of us. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, if you could. Page 1672. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And guys, we, we have to remember... That it cost Christ his life, his life, to reconcile that which was fractured, man to God and mankind to mankind, right? He laid down his, his rights to embrace the other. And who was the other? Well, come to find out, it's you and I. Right? Every one of us is born enemies of God. Last week, you guys looked at Philippians, I mean, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 3, that said this, like, we are all by nature deserving of wrath. I had put up a dividing wall of hostility in my heart towards him and his ways. Every single one of us has at one point in our life. Yet by no merit of my own, he made a way for me to come near to him through the cross. And I was given the invitation to be adopted as a son into his family, an heir to his rich and glorious inheritance. Jesus was the rightful heir to his father's inheritance, but he made room for me at his table. He made room for each one of us. Knowing my own undeserving story ought to humble me. It ought to root out in all of our hearts any sense of better than. I don't know if you guys read 
you know, Bob Goff very often. <laughs> but as somebody that really struggles with loving other people well, his thoughts on love are super challenging to me. And I still remember the day um, I was looking at my phone and this tweet came up the first time I read this. Go ahead and put that up there. It says, the way we treat people we disagree with the most is a report card on what we've learned about love. And I remember reading that and it was just like somebody had just like hit me right in the gut, man. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, sometimes, you know, you read things, you kind of just have to step back and be like, oh, man. <laughs> wow. What are your reactions to that? Personally. Yeah, would <laughs> that I got a bad report card. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, you look, at the, you look at the standard and you're like, yeah, I'm not even going to try to go there, right? Because I know if I try, I'm just going to fail, so I'm just going to take an incomplete this semester, right? Or can I drop the class, right? Can I just not love people? Is that an option? Yeah, man. Right. She's talking about Jesus' teaching where he, where he says, you know, if, if you only love the people who love you back or if you only serve people who are going to return the favor, what credit is that to you? I mean, even the pagans do that, right? That's, that shouldn't be your standard, right? But he calls us to a much deeper standard of loving your enemy, laying your life down for them, right? So, good. So how did, I think we, what we have to do is we look at that quote and we just kind of think about that is that we have to ask, how did Jesus treat the people, based on what we just read in Philippians 2, that he disagreed with the most? How did he treat those people? He gave his life for them. He became their servant. He humbled himself. He made himself obedient to death, even death, in the most publicly humiliating way that the Roman Empire could offer. Stripped naked, humiliated, put up on a cross, out in public for everyone to see. That's how he treated the people who most opposed him. John Piper said this, we must be a reconciling people because we are a reconciled people. We are called to be a new humanity, one body in Christ. And when we put up dividing walls, of people that we feel better than, we hinder the message of Christ in the world. In John 17, right before his death, Jesus is praying to God, and he's praying for, for all future believers. And he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the disciples' message, 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. You see, if God can take former enemies like the Jews and the Gentiles and he can bring them together into this new church, this one church, this one humanity, then he can take people today of different political parties, skin colors, socioeconomic statuses, etc., and he can knit them together as one new humanity as well. So I want to leave you guys with a couple questions today, okay? Where have you erected dividing walls of hostility because of your pride? Where have you erected dividing walls of hostility because of your pride? Who do you feel better than? You know, the thing that stinks about being a pastor sometimes is that you sit in this information all week. And so I just, you know, there were multiple times this week um, where I was at gas stations because I like to get big glasses of tea. And I found myself just thinking about how I perceive and think about other people that are getting in and out of their cars and buying whatever it is they buy at the grocery, at the gas station, um, and how often those thoughts really communicate, yeah, I'm kind of better than you. I've kind of figured out life and kind of what's healthy and what's not, and haven't made some of the silly, stupid choices that you've made. I've kind of navigated life a little bit better. And instead of having a just... Um, a brokenness over my own pride and my own sin and seeing just us as just equal people in need of God's grace, I see myself as just kind of, I don't need it quite as much as they probably need it, right? And that subtleness makes it really difficult for us to, to be on the same level. Or even as Jesus says, for me to consider myself them better than me in some way. God can't knit our hearts together as the church and really with the world until we come to a place, a posture of humility. People can't hear what we're going to say, what we think we, they need to hear <laughs> if we're coming at them from a we're one-up perspective. Right? That's why Jesus got an audience. He was God, <laughs> but he came as a servant. He came poor, just like them. He came dependent. He got baptized because he needed it, right? Teaching them, this is what you do. He prayed because he wanted to be connected to the Father. He had all the answers, but he still asked questions. Guys, we have to repent of these divisive spirits in us this morning <laughs> before we can receive the reminder of reconciliation at the table. Right, Because when we partake of this bread and this 
juice, we're reminded of the broken body and blood of Christ that he poured out so that we might be reconciled to him and to one another. And where we have put up barriers and hindrances and judgments, we need to repent of those. God opposes the proud. It's sickening to him when we think that we are in less need of grace than our brother. Okay? So I just want you to make sure that we understand how serious Jesus is about this, right? The posture of our hearts. We've got to humble ourselves, guys. We've got to stop talking so much, stop posting so much, and start loving more. And looking at our own hearts and being humble. Humble. Okay? Those of you that are new, welcome to Wellspring. I'm usually not like this. Um, no, you're going to be dismissed here in a moment. We're going to give you a time of silence just to pray. The ushers will dismiss you to come up and take communion. Um, the cups on the on one side are, are the non-gluten-frees. There's a little sign for the gluten-free ones. If you need that, you can just take that back to your pew. Take the elements. You can place the cups in your pews. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, just so challenged by this message but God, it's not something that you didn't ask your own people to have to deal with themselves. You chose the Jews. <laughs> you told them they were special. And they were, God. They, they became the people through which the Savior of the world was born. But then at some point, and, and according to your timing and your wisdom, you said, you know what, I'm opening this gift up to everyone. And that meant that you had to ask your people to put aside their pride and their entitlement and their inheritance, and they had to share it. And Jesus, thank you for your example of coming and being a savior for all, of laying down your life so that every single one of us could receive your grace and mercy. God, we are no better and no worse than any person here on earth. We are all equally in need of you. All equally hostile towards you. We are all your enemies. God, we are all in need of your grace. God, help us to be a people that loves well. Help us to be aware of the, the subtle judgments and the subtle perceptions that come through our heart that elevate us in our minds as better than. God, kill those things. Reorient our hearts to love more like you. We give you this time, God, we pray that we would repent of where we need repentance.